All right, hey, maybe uh, maybe you can work out a kink on my end. What's I that? have a wind. I have a window that keeps telling me, um, if I'm going to stay on this uh, call, I have to consent to be recorded. Oh, I yeah. keep tapping. I keep tapping it, and it keeps coming back. Take it says, "Continue, continue at your very own risk." Yeah, continue at your peril. Be I've passed many of those signs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Beware, idiots ahead. <laughs> yeah. Four to be exact. <laughs> hey. Okay. All right, three, fine. And three and a three and a half. Half. You half an idiot. My goodness. It's recording in progress. Welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Birthday banter. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is, of course, the podcast. Spoilers. This is, of course, the podcast where we talk with advocates and members of the disability community to educate and inspire better conversation about disability. Hey, my name is Rob Minow, and joining me today is... Mr. Fabulous himself, Ryan Flurry. Hello again. Uh, and of course, back and on the show, giving us those fabulous banter banters, uh, Mr. Steve Barkley. Banter. Ooh, oh, you're such a tease. I hate it. Uh, and, and of course, we've already sort of tipped our hat to this, but also joining us, who has a birthday this week, Miss Liz Malone. Just remember, when it comes to birthday gifts, cash is king. <laughs> Seems fair. Just putting that yeah. out there. Thank right. you. The check is in the mail. Uh, how is everybody this week? Fantastic. So far, COVID-free. Yeah, I heard about that. You're having a brush with, uh, with COVID in your household, huh? Yeah, it looks like both the kids have got it. Oh man! But see those kids? I tell you, they're they're the germ factories. Reckless. Down, totally, mm. totally. Uh, well, uh, hopefully. So, are you, are you going to take a test, or what's what's your deal? Are you sure you're just going to look took, for symptoms? I took one about a half hour ago, and I'm negative. Oh, good. Well, good. So you just lock lock the kids in the bedroom, and well, I'll take another week. one half an hour ago from now. It might be positive. Yeah, you never know. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm also, I also have no symptoms too, so I'm yeah. feeling pretty positive. Hey, are you used to negative. failing tests? Oh, yeah, it goes right yeah. back to <laughs> elementary school, really. Just. Oh, <laughs> uh, gosh. All right. Hey, Ryan. Yes. You know what? I'm not even, I'm not going to ask you because I'm, you well, know what? Good. I'm going to ask the birthday girl uh, this. So just ignore that. Hey, Liz. Yes. Rob. Uh, what the heck are we doing today? Well, for my birthday week, I thought it would be wonderfully fantastic and birthday-rific to have somebody who was sort of in my neck of the woods, yet extraordinary as all of our guests are. Uh, so today we are speaking to Trevor Thomas. He is also known as the Blind Hiker, and he is the subject of the Emmy Award-winning documentary short, Trail of Trust, which chronicles his 
journey through the Appalachian Trail, and he is the only professional blind hiker in the world. So welcome, Trevor. Thank you so much for coming on. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. It's lonely at the top, right, Trevor? Uh, it's lonely on the trail. <laughs> I don't know if I'm at the top. <laughs> so I have to share this funny little story. Uh, so so Trevor and I have a mutual contact uh, with the Metrolina Association for the Blind, which is the local low vision uh, service provider here in the, um, the the greater Charlotte area. And her name is uh, Dana Dre. And I, I hope I don't botch her title, but I believe she is the chief program director for the association. And when I was trying to get in touch with Trevor and I reached out to her, I said, yeah, I said, you know, Dana, I, I'm the co-host for a podcast called AT Banter. And her first thought was, oh, wow, you, 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 you do a podcast about the Appalachian Trail, which is what <laughs> AT is known for in this area. So... <laughs> I had to. Oh my God, that's great. To school her. But so the AT today for this episode has a kind of double entendre, if you will. I hate I love to say it. it, but when she told me about it, that's instantly what I thought of too. <laughs> Man, I mean, that probably, that we probably have a fan base out there that we maybe we pick up a lot of hikers. Yeah, they keep uh, waiting for us in. to talk about the Lapalachian Trail, but we never get to it. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're wanting they're wanting to know about water sources and uh, and trail magic, and uh, they're not getting it. That's right. So before we, uh, we we jump into all of your accomplishments, um, Trevor, if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about your journey and how you lost your vision. Okay. Um, well, I really don't think that my story is too different than a lot of you know, a lot of blind people out there. I'm one of the ones that went blind later in life uh, due to a rare eye disease. Everybody wants to know what everybody else has. So my, my disease is atypical central serious choroid retinopathy. It took from going into my local vision works and finding out that uh, I needed, you know, I thought I needed glasses to being total. It was about eight months. And so it was a pretty quick progression into health. Um, and that's pretty much when I learned that life was going to be a whole lot different. Um, I went through the, the same things about, well, you're looking at a 90% unemployment rate. Your chances of living independently are going to be slim to none, the gloom and doom forecast. And that's when I turned to hiking recreational to try and, you know, abate some of the depression and went from there. What, what's the longest trail that you've hiked? Um, the longest trail is the PCT. It's uh, 2,654 miles long from Mexico to Canada. Cool. You ever you ever considered the uh, Trans-Canada Trail? Um, no. It's now only, that I have... It's only 17,000 miles long. <laughs> well, people tried, people tried to get me to do the AT, the AT Pangea, which was which is now on seven continents and it's what the AT mountain range was back in the Pangaea time frame, And that's nearly 23,000 miles. Wow. Oh my God. So, but now that I have dogs, I try to limit the environments I go to um, based on predators because I don't want my dogs eaten. That seems mm -hmm. fair. And so yeah. I, I'm, I'm at a point in my career where I can pick and choose what I want to do. And so that's pretty, that's pretty nice. So if I could just rewind just a little bit, 
Um, in the documentary, it talked about how you were originally inspired by a blind man who climbed Everest. Can you share a little insight into that? Yeah, um, I guess that was not too many people have, I guess, a true catharsis in their life. Um, but two days after I went blind, a friend of mine that wouldn't give up on me while I was going blind and, you know, just being depressed said, no ifs, ands, or buts. I'm going to drag you to go see this guy speak. I didn't know who Eric Weinmare was. I really didn't care at that point in my life. I was just, I was marred in depression. And turned out that, you know, the guy climbed Everest. And while he's talking, I was enthralled. Um, worked up the confidence to talk to him afterwards. Found out that we were the same age. Went blind in similar fashions, even though we have a different disease. Some of the stories he told about going blind, I was going through at that time about how my vision was was had gone. Um, and then I don't know what it was. It's It was one of those things where he gave me hope just because he had been blind a lot longer than me, but he was actually doing the things that I used to do in my sighted life. The only difference was he was blind. And from that point on, I was like, okay, everything will be fine. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to. And so that was, that was pretty, you know, pretty interesting. You don't really, you can't really sit down and say, oh, I've had one definitive moment in my life where everything changed on a dime. And it was actually that for me. And what sort of things did you do to start to get into the hiking arena, if you will? I fell down a lot. No, I mean, um, as we all do, well, right? At at that point, um, during your O and M instruction, they don't they don't teach you to do things like I wanted to do. They said everything I asked for recreation. They said blind people don't do that. But I ended up with a pretty progressive um, O and M instructor, and I begged her to you know for anything that I could just go out and do. And she she said, well, how about this? If you do all of your O&M uh, street work, I'll take you to the Greenways here in Charlotte, North Carolina. And she took me to the Greenways, and I instantly, I was hooked. Um, it was something I could do on my own, um, though she warned me, don't ever do it without her. I disregarded that instantly. <laughs> and it was the one place that I felt alive again. It was the first place after going blind that I felt alive. And I just started hiking and hiking, and I was self-taught. And so um, that was my first experience. But I think everything in life leads to, you know, is a, is a series of luck and a series of, of desire and drive. But that hiking on the Greenway led me to break a lot of canes, led me to fall a lot, and led me to the outdoor store where I met probably the first sighted person that didn't treat me like a blind person and then a person second. And it was this young guy. And I told him, I said, this is going to sound crazy, but I'm blind. I want to learn how to hike, but I keep breaking my canes. Can you help me? You know, do you have like a stick that I can buy or anything like that? And, and he started talking about these adventures he'd been on and he wouldn't shut up. And they sounded so exciting. I mean, the guy, the guy was attacked by bears. He nearly froze to death. He ran out of food. And I'm like, God knows, I want to do that. What was it? 
And then he told me he was a long distance hiker. And he said, I just got back from through hiking the AT. And within walking in the store, wanting to find a stick or a trekking pole or something so I could just teach myself to hike, I walked out of the store convinced that that was going to be it. If I could just through hike the AT and do it just like everybody else and do it alone, then I get my life back and I could do anything I wanted to do. And so that's what I set out to do. So I went from nothing to all in. For any anyone who's not familiar with the Appalachian Trail, uh, that trail is 2,175 miles from end to end. And it starts in Georgia and goes all the way up through Maine. So it is certainly not for the faint of heart. And I think uh, it was quoted as the average time to do the, the, the trail from end to end is five to seven months. Yeah. And you yeah. completed it in six months, two days? Six months, two days. Holy yep. crap. And so, um, yeah, and it was, I mean, personally, I think everybody should do it. It's the last known pilgrimage on earth. Um, but you have to go for the right reasons. I volunteer you, Ryan. There you go. <laughs> but but um, it's, it's one of those things that will teach you what's important in life. It will teach you more about yourself than you would ever know. And it is, yeah, it's very long. It's very hard. Um, about 80% of the people who start don't finish. And those are able-bodied people. Um, but uh, if you want it bad enough, the trail will get you in shape. If you can embrace what I call the suck factor um, and you can get through the weather um, and you can get through the low points and not quit, then it'll change your life no matter who you are. So what was kind of the reaction to, you know, the people in your life, your family, your friends, when you told them you wanted to do this, like everybody around you must have just said, don't do this. This, this is crazy. Um, there, they were all pretty much a whole litany of you're insane. Um, people thought I was trying to run away from dealing with blindness. Um, they didn't realize that I was actually doing it so I could embrace blindness and move on with life. Um, and I needed to do it. Uh, I made the mistake of telling my parents that I was going to do it, change my life, or I was going to die trying. And they knew I was serious. Um, so that caused them a lot of sleepless nights. My mom, when I first was reported missing, and it wasn't true that I was missing, I was reported missing on the AT. Uh, she ended up in the hospital for a while with, uh, with chest problems or with heart problems. Um, Got me a good reputation with the Forest Service, though. Um, but most people gave me a one in a, about a one in a million chance. In fact, I gave myself about a one in a million chance to make it. But at that point in my life, I didn't care. I didn't have anything. I didn't have anything that I wanted back you know, back in society. It was it was a one and done. I was going to do it literally, or I was going to die trying. So did it really have sort of an impact on your attitude one way or the other? Like the more people that told you that, it, that you know, it wasn't possible, that you were crazy, did that sort of make you more determined? Um, or did it really make you sort of second guess yourself? No, I decided literally in an afternoon when I was in the gear store and the decision was made. 
no matter what anybody said, did make me more resolved, less resolved. The decision was made. I was doing it, period. Um, so I didn't second guess it. Um, there's a lot of second guessing while you're out there. I had a lot of close calls um, that make you wonder, you know, I've made a huge error and there's some serious consequences, but I just took it one day at a time. You know, I was like, I will survive this day and then I'll survive the next day. And if I put them all together, I'll finish. And so for being the guy in the outdoor store to the time you stepped out your door and hit the trail, what sort of time frame was involved and how do you prepare for a trip like that? Because in the video, you know, you, you talk about asking people if you can trail along behind them, some are yay, some are nay. You know, how do you prepare? How do you know how much food to take with you? How do you know? Like, did you do any training for this? Because this isn't just something you just take on. Well, um, I took it very seriously. Fortunately for me, the same guy that was in the outdoor store, I went back about a week later and I cornered him and I said, hey, I want to do the AT. I want to through hike it. Do you think I can do it? And he very nonchalantly said, yeah, I don't see why not. And then he did the one thing that probably changed everything. He said, I'll help you. And so I worked with him. He did, you know, we, there were no guidebooks for blind people. There are no maps for blind people. There's nothing in the form of navigation. Um, and there's no equipment that's accessible for, for the blind. So he took me under his wing and he mentored me. And everything from reading me as trail is, is, uh, trail manuals to helping me memorize sections of the trail, warning me about certain sections to um, literally taking me on my on my first uh, my first shakedown hikes. Um, I spent 18 months with him, wow. and it was a full basically a full time job for me to get ready for the trail. And even at that, it is it's nothing like what you what sure. you can train what you can train for. Yeah. I mean, I entered an environment that literally I knew where nothing was. You know, I didn't know where the rocks were. I didn't know where the trees were. Didn't know where, couldn't see the blazes on, on the trees that guide the way. Didn't know where the signposts were. And I was in an, an environment that actively wanted to kill me, whether it was through predators, whether it was through weather. Uh, I went through, I went through a hurricane. Um, you know, I went through drought, um, that those are the types of things that people get the, the grandiose idea after reading a walk in the woods by Bill Bryson and say, Oh, this is a lark. And then they realize that it's no joke. So you can prepare really well. You have to, you have to learn, learn the science. You have to learn, you know, learn your gear. You have to get in shape. You have to, to know the basics but then it's trial by fire. I've always been curious about what do you, what do you eat? Uh, is there like, you're going to make fun of me for saying this. Is there like special hiking protein bars or something? Because you must burn such a ridiculous number of calories during that on a hike in general, and then having to replenish those calories that you're constantly burning without, so you don't starve to death. Food 
food and nutrition is the biggest is the biggest thing you have to deal with. Yes, you burn lots and lots of calories. On average, you want to do 15 to 20 miles a day. You have a pack on your back. It weighs about, for the average hiker, about 35 pounds. You're going up and down mountains. Um, you can have elevation changes of, say, 20,000, 30,000 feet in a day. And you'll burn through seven, eight, 9,000 calories. So we have what's called the through hiker diet, which is we eat anything and everything we want, and you're guaranteed to lose weight. Um, when I started, there weren't all the fancy dehydrated food. Um, Mountain House had just come on the, you know, come on the on the scene and was very expensive outside the reach of most through hikers' budgets. Um, protein bars hadn't really come into vogue yet. You did a lot of stuff with uh, a lot of stuff with pasta, uh, a lot of stuff with tuna fish. Um, if you could get your hands on salmon, um, you do granola bars, a lot of oatmeal, things like that. But the one thing, one thing people don't realize when they're planning their diet while they're through hiking is that there are two ways you can do it. You can mail drop food to yourself at post offices along the way. Um, that way, you know what you're getting. Or a lot of places, there are no post offices. So you have to buy whatever you can get in the little itty bitty tiny town you walk into. And so it's basically a crapshoot. I mean, I've literally had to resupply for five or six days out of a gas station convenience store. And so um, it, that can be, nutrition can be touchy. It can be really, really tough. But getting to town and finding a restaurant, oh, we can torture a buffet. <laughs> you know you, they see through hikers coming and they know you're going to sit for two or three hours and you will ruin the profit they had for the entire week so what is I, why am i food obsessed today what is the first thing that you wanted to eat after you finished uh, doing the at it's the same thing now that it was back then and everyone that goes on trail, there's always something that you desperately want and you get a Pavlovian response. For me, I knew when I was within, say, two miles from a town because I started to salivate. All I wanted was an ice cold Coke. That was the first thing I had to have. No ifs, ands, or buts. And I've done it for about 50,000 miles so far. Um, but that's it for me. A Coke first, and then I can think about whatever else my body is telling me I have to have. Ryan, what's yours? A Whopper, Whopper poutine? No, no. It would probably have to be a slice of pizza from somewhere. Oh yeah. That's a good one. Yeah, if, you're, if you're a through hiker, it's not a slice. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's pizzas. Yes. Mul multiple ones. Well, and that's something I wanted to ask you is what is through? Because I've seen that mentioned multiple times and you've mentioned it here as well. Okay, um, through, and it's spelled T-H-R-U. Um, a through hiker is someone who goes to a long trail. Um, you know, no, most notably would be like the AT, the PCT, the CDT. Those are the granddaddies of the long trail um, and make up the triple crown of long distance hiking. But you start at one end, either Nobo, which is northbound, or Sobo, which is southbound, and from the day you start until the day you end, you don't stop. 
and you have to finish within 365 days of when you start. Hmm. So if you do that and you finish the trail in those under those parameters and you don't skip trail, you are a through hiker. Okay. All others are day hikers, section hikers. Um, some are flip floppers. If you do part of the trail northbound, part of the trail southbound, but the purists, pretty much, we are through hikers. We start and we take what we get, weather, no matter what, and we just keep going. So you started off as a solo through hiker, and since then you are now uh, the a guide dog user. So yep. I'm I'm really curious to get some insight in how much of a game changer that has been um, from both the standpoint of actually doing the trails, but now, now you have to have enough food and water for two. It's for me, it was number one, getting a guide dog is basically it's a lifestyle and you need to embrace it. I wanted a guide dog from the second I went blind, but there are criteria you have to meet. And I didn't meet those criteria because I had started, I'd started hiking and I, and they say you have to have a stable home, not do, you know, not have a cha drastic change in lifestyle for at least six months. So you can get a, so you can get a relationship with your dog. I was hiking nonstop, so I didn't meet the requirements. Um, but for me, the, the decision to get a guide dog came after a solo attempt on the Colorado trail, which is 500 miles over the Rockies. Um, I went there and I had my first non-complete. So I'd done, I'd done probably 17, right around 17,000 miles. And I hadn't had a failure. I'd managed to complete every trail that I'd started, but Colorado handed me a good dose of humble pie because I got to the snow and I, I just, I couldn't figure out how to navigate through a glacier and a snowfield. It was just, it was the worst nightmare, worst, worst environment known to man. So I had to quit, um, came back and said, this is it. I don't want to have a human partner. I don't want to be guided around. I do this because I want to prove to myself what I can personally do and what limits I have. So I said, it's time. I want a guide dog. And I figured how hard could it be? Guide dogs are trained to do guide work. That's great. I'll just tell the guide dog school that I want one that's really active and I want them to train it to do backcountry guide work. Well, it turned out that it wasn't that easy. Nobody had ever done it before. And all the schools had heard about me and they deemed what I was doing was irresponsible. They said it was dangerous. They said dogs couldn't do what I wanted them to do. Um, and basically you need not apply. Oh, you were until blacklisted. I was blacklisted from every school in the country until wow. I got to, until I got to guide dogs for the blind in San Rafael, California. And they were at the bottom of my list because they were the furthest away from where I live in Charlotte. So I called them and said, you know, I can't give up. So I called them and gave them my spiel and got the pregnant pause at the end of, of my, my spiel. And I waited and waited. And the admissions officer said, hmm, said, I don't really know. He said, it's never been done. I know that. I don't know if we can do it. 
And I was like, great, thanks a lot. And he said, but I think it would be a fantastic way to showcase the abilities of a guide dog if we could do it. So they said, great, apply. And about a year later, I got uh, my first guide dog, Tennille, which also came with a caveat. <clears throat> she had all the traits that I needed. She was very wickedly smart, athletic, um, everything. But the school didn't know what to train her to do for me because they didn't know what a through hiker went through. They didn't know what kind of, you know, what kind of things I would need her to find, what kind of problems I would have to solve. So they did the next best thing. They said, you have special training. Said the dog knows what to do in town. We're going to train you how we train dogs. We're going to train you the psychology of their learning. And then it's up to you. You will have to train your dog to do what you need in the backcountry. So when I graduated with Tennille, came home and spent, she became my full-time job. And I spent six, about seven months every day, all day with her, training her, doing shakedown hikes, learning dog physiology, learning dog nutrition. And we set out for a thousand mile hike um, about seven months after I got her. And that was a learning experience because I had to, I had to retrain myself how to hike to accommodate her needs. I had to, I had to carry her food, carry her water, have a brand new, brand new medical pack so I could take care of myself and her if she got into trouble, um, all sorts of things. So it was a blessing because she made what I, she made maybe me be able to go further into the backcountry to more remote trails, to more rugged trails, to, to the more challenging trails um, in the United States, but it came at a price. My only goal now is my dog's needs. So if someone's gonna suffer, it's going to be me. My, my load is a lot, is a lot heavier. Um, I have to, you know, if, if I run into to issues, I have to plan for contingencies as far as are there vets within a hundred mile radius of the trail? How will I get the dog there if we need to do that? So it's um, for what she does to me is, is basically made life possible, but it also has made a very tough thing that much harder. It seems to me that it would be a real issue with sort of wildlife that you may be crossing paths with while you're on the trail with a dog. I mean, it's, it's our natural instinct to go after them. How difficult is the training in that sense? Um, that was a whole nother level that I had to invent. Um, guide dogs are trained to have no prey drive. So they will not go after, they won't go after cats. They will not go after bunnies or anything like that. That's just not a part of what is in their nature, simply because that would affect their regular guide work. What I had to instill into my dogs is fear. I had to figure out a way to make them fearful of a rattlesnake without actually getting close to one and getting bitten. I had to train them to let me know that that was a rattlesnake. Um, I had to basically on the fly teach Tennille and Lulu, okay, I need to know when you, when you smell a bear. I need to know when you smell a deer, when you smell an elk, 
when and you know when we come across a big cat um all of that stuff some of the things you can train for other things we developed as we went along and the, the longer i have i've had them on trail i can tell from their body language what kind of threat is coming our way whether it's coyotes or you know whether it's you know whether it's going to be you know m maybe even somebody coming down down the trail the opposite way with another dog that's off leash that could be a threat to us um so it's that's that's one of the biggest fears that i have on trail is is what is wildlife going to do i can't protect them against a cat a bear encounter uh if it's a brown bear that's going to be bad because they're on the menu if it's a black bear at least on the east coast i never run into them anymore because now i'm loud with them. i'm always communicating with my dogs so it kind of scares them away but also bears are hunted with dogs so they smell my dogs and the bears hightail it because they don't want to get shot. So certain instances they're good, others it you know it could be a little bit it could be a little bit touchy. Do you sense that Tanil actually enjoyed doing the work, being uh, oh. being on the trail? Oh yeah, from day one, she adored it. She not only she not only enjoyed working on the trails, she loved trail life she loved being in our tent she really she she would go she would start to go nuts the minute i started getting gear out when i started packing packing her food which is specialty food putting it in ziploc bags she knew we were going to the trail and she got an extra spring in her step and she was she was thrilled get her to the airplane and she was she was even more beside herself and when when the media started really taking attention to her, she really loved the trail because the media would show up and they'd bring her gifts. They heard she loved bananas and carrots and they'd come and they'd bring her food. And that made that made them her best friend. You got to teach Tanil cash is king. <laughs> we have we have had, <laughs> we have on our uh, on more than one trek. We've had people. Um, literally stop us at trailheads and give us money just for no reason. They're like, we like what you do. And well, I remember one guy, you know, I, he, he gave me a hundred dollars and I said, I have, I, you know, I have food. I can afford to go, go to a, a restaurant. He said, no, buy your dog something really, really nice. He said, I love what you do, but make sure that dog gets a steak. Um, so I was like, that's pretty cool. Thanks, man. <laughs> that, that leads me straight to, uh, the, the big burning question for me, how does one become a professional hiker? Well, it's very simple. Um, I started it. it one would think that my biggest problem becoming a long distance hiker and the biggest obstacle I had to overcome was being blind, but being blind also was my biggest asset to become to become pro and to go pro um, because at that point there were no professional long distance hikers it was not a sport that was considered sponsorable but while i was on trail the media started covering what i was doing and although the guide dog industry took a look at it and saw limitations and saw potential disaster the gear industry looked at it 
and they saw me on TV, in, in newspapers, wearing their gear. And when I finished, then they said, okay, this is a way that we can get press. So it was work to become professional. You know, I had to leverage the publicity I got um, to and, and work at it like any other job. Um, it wasn't just people started calling and saying, hey, we'll give you money if you just wear our clothing or, you know, wear our shoes. But um, that was that was the blindness was actually the thing that made me be able to, to go pro and basically start a trend. So so nowadays, are there a, are, are is there a, a group of professional hikers out there? Or is there a are there a lot of them or a few of them? Um, per, well, long distance hikers, number one, we're very solitary people. Um, it's it's obviously it's not a team sport. Um, we, those of us who've done it for a while, you run into each other on, you know, this trail or that trail, and it's a very small community, um, and we're very close knit. Um, and those of us who've managed to earn a living doing it are the ones that not only are doing things that others either haven't attempted, maybe a first trail, um, you know, that nobody else has through hiked. But most all of us have backstories that that add to the culture of of the gear industry. So um, I know I know another guy that that is doing some amazing things, and he literally started hiking after nearly being nearly being killed in a you know in a in a shooting. Um, had bullets in his spine, but he came back. So it's, it's that kind of overcoming the odds that, that the gear industry likes, um, especially for, you know, what we do. On this podcast, we've talked about the difference between uh, being just genuinely inspirational and inspiration porn. And I, it's very safe to say that you fall into the category of just flat out inspirational because, I, I mean, you're doing something that... A lot of people have tried, many have, some have done it, some have failed. And you're, hate to, you know, overuse a phrase, but you're blazing this trail and leading the pack in terms of uh, going pro. So in addition to these, all these accomplishments, you've also started a foundation, um, a, a nonprofit, and it, that is Team Farsight, correct? Yeah, um, back in 2013, um, I started Team Farsight Foundation. I just, I was at a point in my career that I just wanted to, I wanted to give back. I wanted to let other people have the type of experiences and that I had in the backcountry because of the impact it had on me. I mean, I didn't go out to do any of the things that I've done to inspire other people. I did it for me. And, and uh, you know, then the impact is what made me say, hey, other people need to have this, need to feel the empowerment of what, of what the backcountry can do for you. So I started, like everybody else, I started small, started with hiking clinics for, for you know, blind kids. I did, uh, I did uh, hiking programs with uh, some of the schools for the blind, got into um, adventure camps, climbing clinics and events, um, pretty much 
anything that you know people that were in my uh, that were in my my groups they they would say hey you know we've learned how to hike you know i've taught hundreds of kids over the years how to hike they'd say i'd really like to rock climb it's like all right well let's figure it out let's do it or let's go whitewater rafting let's do things like that just so they could be empowered we did that um got into got into uh, supplemental education um, for a while because I heard that there was such a need for, um, especially in K through 12, for for O and M and Braille. The instruction they were getting was horrible. So I started practical education, um, and then of course the pandemic hit, and I decided it's the perfect time. I'm going to sit down and do something I've wanted to do since I got my first guide dog, and that was create products for active guide dog users because none of them exist. So doing that now and ironically enough was just contacted about making a cane for active cane users, one that's actually practical and won't break. Um, so I think I'll jump into that. And another, another thing that uh, I'm really excited about is I'm working on the first destination trail system in the country that will be accessible for the blind. Um, and that hopefully when we get it done, we'll be able to replicate it and retroactively make other trails that are remote and rugged, not greenways, but remote trails accessible. So people can go as far as, you know, as far as they can, as, as they can want to go. So what kind of response have you been receiving from the, the blind and low vision community about the concept of having accessible trails because i i think in general recreational hiking is such a i think a a growing um industry at least definitely in north, north carolina so i'm just wondering um what the response has been and, and if people are are really excited about this new prospect it's it's growing not only in north carolina but it's growing all over the country and slowly but surely accessibility is gaining traction. I first noticed it. Um, I started getting calls from associations probably, oh, about three, about four years ago, people wanting advice on how to make a trail accessible for the blind. Um, and then the inclusionary uh, movement has started and that's, that's really helped gain a little bit of traction. The one the one problem that that people that people have and a lot of blind people are excited about it they they just want me to give them the basically the the guidebook on how to do it and it's not that easy um a trail that's accessible is not going to be adaptive um, because accessible and adaptive can't live in the same sphere um so it needs to be accessible enough so you can get your feet wet, you can gain the passion, but anything beyond, you're going to have to earn getting out there. So there are no apps um, that are going to be all-inclusive, one-stop shops that you'll just be able to follow to go on a trail. That's not going to be possible for the blind. Even when it gets to that point, it's not safe. Um, so the way I'm designing things is realistically for the blind. It's to give you the best shot at being able to earn your right to be in the backcountry. 
So we'll have a combination of high tech and a, a combination of low tech um, to make sure that that uh, you have as many tools in your pack to be able to go from one end to the other if you so choose. What what is that uh, what does that look like that your your blend of um, uh, technology and 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 just practical? What what sorts of tools do you put in place? Um, well, it's going to depend upon the actual trail system. Um, as to what is feasibly allowable. There's a lot of regulations involved. Um, and of course, convincing, convincing things like the Parks Department to ignore the ADA, to make it actually realistically possible for a blind person to hike a trail. Um, that's rough. In some places they will, in some places they won't. Um, but there are, there are some promising apps out there that need that with work um, could be adapted to trail navigation, at least backcountry trail navigation. Um, that would be one component of it. Um, augmenting signage. A lot of the signage these days, um, ever since the advent of laser printers or laser 3D printers, um, all the uh, associations and parks departments have decided to make those Lexan signs that have the pretty pictures on them. Well that took away any of the ability for me to be able to trace letters on signs to figure out which way to go. Um, so getting signage that's going to be appropriate, not, not only for the sighted world, but appropriate for the blind world as well, or the low vision world, that's not going to impede either, you know, either population. Uh, so we don't want to make it so intrusive that it's going to, it's going to cause problems for, you know, for other ones. Um, out there. I'm not an advocate of grooming trails. I'm not an advocate of paving trails. The trails are there. You get what you get. You learn to go over rocks. You learn how to, you know, how to deal with things. That's just part of the wilderness. That's part of earning it. So I'm, I'm of the school that I'm not going to change the trail to meet the user. I'm going to give the user tools to help them, you know, give them the best shot at getting down the trail. Um, so no ropes, no ropes for, you know, for people to, to tether to or things like that. Um, but confidence markers would definitely be one, um, a guidebook that could be written for the trail that you could access on your phone that will give you, you know, the same thing you would get in a standard data book, yet you'd be able to read it. Um, you know, standard things such as mileage, uh, trail intersections, water sources, um, elevations, things like that. Um, so a combination of all that kind of stuff, but work in conjunction because no one thing will ever work. will will be the only thing that'll work in the backcountry. So what's next for you and to Neil, I guess, at, or is it, I'm sorry, you're, you're hiking with Lulu now. I'm sorry. Um, so uh, what, 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 what's the next terrain that you, uh, you and Lulu are planning on hitting? Cause well, I'm sure you've yeah. got something in the works. Always. I mean, it, it, <laughs> um, yeah, you're right. Lulu, actually, her full name is Honolulu. Uh, in case anybody from Guide Dogs to the Blind is listening, they always like <laughs> her full name. Um, but yeah, who, Honolulu took over the sharp end of the leash um, in 2019. Um, and so we've been hiking together ever since. This season, I'm looking at a lot of different things fire dangers over the last couple of years and burn down forests have been a, a plague 
um, because it takes me a lot of time to get ready for a trail. On average, I spend about four hours per mile getting ready. Um, so I have to have at least two or three, you know, in the pipeline that I'm considering. Um, and then depending upon what conditions are there, when I'm ready to go, that's when I make my decisions. But I'm looking at going back to Tahoe. It's been, it's been probably eight years, seven years since I've been there. And that is a trail that they change all the times. I love the environment and they keep adding on to it. So I'm looking at that just because it's a wonderful place to go um, in Northern California. And I'm also looking at giving a little trail time to Lulu back on the AT. It is the one thing I've never been able to do on any of the trails that I've done since I'm a through hiker is you don't get to stop. You don't, you know, and enjoy a place because you have to keep going. You don't get to go when you know the weather is going to be the best chance of being favorable. You have to take what you get. I always, I always wanted to go back and do New Hampshire and Maine again when I could do it and enjoy it without fighting a clock um, and without getting crushed by a hurricane. And mm. so, um, so those are the two I'm looking at right now. And I've got a tentative plan to go back to, back to the Rockies. I want to do, I want to do the Colorado 13ers, not the 14ers, the 13ers. It's a less, it's a less traveled goal. I think bagging, I think, uh, I think hiking and bagging the 13ers along the way would be pretty cool to do. And if those, and for those listeners who don't know what a 13er or a 14er is, 13ers and 14ers are 13,000 and 14,000 foot mountains. Okay, but you just said earlier, you, you can't navigate glaciers. So how are you going to manage that? I have a dog now. <laughs> <laughs> I got to look after their paws. They get frostbitten. I, I look out for all of that, but I got a dog simply because I couldn't do snow and yeah. I couldn't do glaciers. They are my eyes. Yeah. And amazingly enough, whether it's landslides whether it's glaciers, whether it's snow fields, they have an incredible ability to pick up the trail on the other side of whatever impediment I'm on. Hmm. So um, we work through the glaciers together. We work through the snow fields. Um, and I rely on them to, and all I do is tell them, find the trail. And they'll find me the trail on the other side of whatever the impediment is. Um, same thing with rivers. We ford rivers. I make sure that they can safely get across and it's their job to get me the trail on the other side. Right. But, um, but yeah, there's a lot of precautions when you go up, when you go up high with a dog, for sure. not to mention, you, you mentioned frostbite. Yeah. They can get that. You have to have boots. You have to have coats for them. Yeah. You have to have, you have to have climbing harnesses. I have rope if they need it. Um, you've got to worry about hypoxia. So you've got to know how to check for that dehydration, all that good stuff. Yeah. Um, you also got to make sure they don't burn. Yeah. I mean, they can sunburn just like anybody else and it can, can be very damaging. So, but it's worth it. I mean, you have to earn being able to go high and to go into those types of environments. I never recommend anybody just jump off the couch no. and take the <laughs> dog and do it. Um, but, but I'm, I'm confident in my skill and I'm mm. confident in my dog's skill to know that Yes, it's a risk, but it is a calculated risk. 
yeah. and I have a decent chance to to make it to the other side. Right. So you're also currently working on a book, are you not? Yeah. Um, I've actually cut it into basically two books. Okay. Um, it was going to be one book, but I kept hiking and kept adding <laughs> on and adding on and adding on. And there was never a good stopping point. But, um, but now people are most concerned about why the crazy blind guy went out and did the AT in the first place. So that was a good first starting place because there's a lot of extra stuff about going blind in there. Um, so I had to split that off from basically Tennille's done so much and, she, you know, so many firsts in her life that she deserves her own book. So right. the second, the second book or installment, um, is going to be, is going to be her story. And and so where, where is the first book at? Is it close to being released? Um, it's edited. Um, I'm currently looking for the right deal with the right publisher. Okay. Um, and so the book market, as I continue to write and write and write, the book market continued to change and change and change. Um, so I'm taking my time. I'm, I'm concerned with, I want the right publisher. I want the right, the right, um, the right editor. And I want the right, the right home for the book. Um, it's not, I don't want it to be one of those just, Hey, I went out and did this type things. Sure. Yeah, I wanted to want it to actually mean something. And so in Tennille's, I can't finish her book. She's still alive. Yeah, that's right. Um, so, <laughs> so yeah. And then who knows Lulu since uh, she's, she's picked up the, she's picked up the leash um, and she loves doing what she's doing. So she might have to end up with hers too is, Seems like people like hearing about my dog's adventures more than they even hear like hearing about mine. Yes, guide dogs do that. <laughs> I'm going to assume Lulu is from GDB as well. Yes. Yeah. They, uh, they actually, I was a little concerned. Um, everybody said Tennille was the Holy Grail and that <laughs> lightning couldn't strike twice, but uh, they they delivered. Nice. Um, she's a Lulu's. She's she's a totally different dog. I mean, mm -hmm. physically, yes, she's got the same physical attributes. Um, I started over with her, um, taught myself how to hike again. I had to use different training techniques to train her because she's a different, psychologically, a different dog. Um, so it was uh, kind of like starting over, you know. Uh, I taught myself to hike in the beginning. I retaught myself to hike and learned with dogs with Tennille. And then... Boom, started all over again with Lulu. When I get the next dog, I will do it again. But yeah. Lulu proved that lightning can strike twice. Um, she is she is equally as good as Tennille. Well, I look forward to meeting Honolulu when we go out for my birthday beer, Trevor. Yeah, definitely. definitely. <laughs> the well, advantages of having a guest who's in my, my hometown. <laughs> yeah, well, um, you can not only meet Lulu, you can be, meet Tennille too. Tennille I, still goes; she still goes all over the place with me. Oh, that'll be great! And I and I will definitely post some photos and uh, some video of uh, of Lulu and Tennille when I get to meet them um, on the AT Banter social media accounts because I'm sure people would love to see what these dogs uh, what they're what they're like. Oh, there we go! Yeah. AT Banter's going to the dogs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hey, it's a pop. 
Liz, you mentioned the mini documentary because we should share that as well. Well, we'll definitely put that. We'll post that on the, uh, on the show notes. Great. Yeah. If they really want to be bored to tears, just have them, <laughs> just have them type in the blind hiker into Google and, <laughs> and they can, they can read ad nauseum or see ad nauseum just about anything you want. Oh, and by the way, Tennille, the guide dog has now taken over the number one spot from Captain and Tennille, that, uh, that, that uh, group. In the so you type in her name now and she now uh, comes up in front of the, uh, the she, has, she has a higher, uh, a higher Google ranking. Yep. <laughs> so, so yeah. Love will keep us together. There you mm -hmm. go. <laughs> I now I now know every stupid piece of trivia about Captain and Tennille. <laughs> Everybody wanted to tell me those every time we'd run into people. <laughs> well, you did a perfect job of actually doing my job of segueing into how people can find you. So yes, you can be Googled under the blind hiker, but uh, if you can share with everyone um, your social media, your website and, and ways that people can, can find you. Yeah. Just uh, see on the old www.worldwideweb. They can go to theblindhiker.com. That's uh, all about Tennille, me, and Lulu um, and our foundation work. You can go to the same www. and go to farsightfoundation.org. And then it's got all the appropriate little buttons on there where if you want to go to the Facebook and Instagram and junk. Well, that sounds perfect. And we will definitely stay in touch with you, Trevor. You've got my digits. I've got your digits. And... Certainly, please keep us in the loop. Let us know what you're doing. And um, when your book comes out or when you hit that next hike, we would love to have you come back on the show. Oh, definitely. Well, and on a, on a lighter note, you've got to keep in touch with me because I, I told you I'd buy you a beer for your birthday. So, And I am <laughs> taking that beer and then some. So, but yeah, Don't worry. Liz is not going to uh, skip <laughs> out on beer. Don't, don't, don't worry. <laughs> Cash may be king, but beer is queen. There you go. <laughs> Throw a little bourbon down. Oh, now we're now you're now you're talking my language. There we go. That sounds great. Well, thank you so much, uh, Trevor, for joining us. Um, it, was, it was absolutely amazing, and and best of luck uh, with both to beer with uh, Liz and, as well as uh, whatever uh, whatever other trail is next for you. I'm not sure which which you need more luck for. <laughs> Um, I'm not sure on that one. I'll, I'll keep you posted on the next episode. All right. Awesome. All right, Trevor, take care and uh, best to, to Lulu and Tamil. All right. Thanks guys. All right. All right. Thanks, Trevor. Take care. Thanks, Trevor. All right. Bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Love will keep us together. Da -na -na, da -da -na -na. I got that song stuck in my head. Yeah, <laughs> now gonna, me too. Thanks. You're going to have the, Good job. Good job, Rob. Yeah. <laughs> it's a classic. 70s classic. Yep. Do we have to pay royalties now for you singing that probably, song? Yeah, probably, I'll probably have to cut that. Really get <laughs> no, keep it in. Keep it in and see if we get some publicity. Publicity. Get some attention. <laughs> have to pay like $3 to, to Captain and or to Neil. Aren't you, aren't you allowed to do a, a, a certain number of seconds before you yeah, have to pay a royalty? Yeah, I think it's 20 seconds. Maybe. Okay, no, we're good. You're totally good. Probably 20 seconds and you probably have to be in the right key. So <laughs> in either case, we're probably safe. I, th I think when you sing it, we can safely be covered under parody. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's a good memory. <laughs>
which is why I don't sing. Oh, it's my rule. That's a good rule. Um, wow, that was really Liz. That was really good. Um, that was what a great story. Once again, another underachiever coming on to our podcast. My God. Yeah. Well. Well, you know, it's it's interesting. His story is, I think, drives drives home a couple really important points, um, especially the idea of. The, the, the real importance that it, it can be to hear other people's stories. Like, you know, if you, like he was saying, like if he had, if he had not seen Eric uh, talk about his experiences in climbing Everest, he may still be on the couch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mentorship could be very important and it's you know really nice to see Trevor giving back in, in that way. Right. Having these camps for kids and this nonprofit organization um, it can mean the world to somebody. Sure, for sure. And did, I, like I said, just hearing the story, like just yeah. realizing that, that the importance of pushing your own comfort zone. Um, in that documentary, uh, he says something that really stood out to me. Um, he said, everybody has their own summit. You know, not everybody is going to walk the, the Appalachian Trail, but um, for, somebody else, for somebody, maybe just going to the grocery store by themselves is, is their, you know, summit. It's, it's what they need to push through to do. Yeah, it's a very moving uh, documentary short. I mean, they yeah. really crammed a lot of story into that 15 minutes where it's just like, it, it progresses so well and shot and and narrated yeah. so perfectly that, you know, it's a, it's, it's just quick 15 minutes, but you're, it, it's just like a wallop of, um, of information and, and, and story. Yeah, it is. And, and it's, and it's also not schmaltzy, you know, it's not, it's not tacky. It's not inspiration porn. It's, right. it's very, you know, it's, it's shot very straight and just tells the story and it, and it is an amazing story. And I mean, heck that, that only that's all the way back. I think it it's from, well, I think he, he walked it in 2008, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, so I'm not sure exactly how old the documentary, but he's achieved so much since that documentary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely recommend people uh, go check it out. We'll, we'll put it in the show notes for sure. Um, but uh, yeah, just an incredible story. And it certainly doesn't even stop there with now working on creating a better cane for people. The whole idea of creating accessible trails, I mean, it's just yeah. one thing right after the other. And uh, I mean, he's, he's, he's definitely one of those people in, in our community who's uh, really putting all the time and effort into bringing accessibility to the forefront. And it's certainly a little discouraging when you hear that organizations that are supposed to be advocating and improving the lives of those in the blind community uh, are so quick to kind of poo-poo yeah. the idea of expanding the role of the guide dog or whatever else it may be that, you know, seeing the human potential in everyone, even though we're blind, that we shouldn't, we shouldn't have barriers exist within our own system. Yeah, it's, that's so true. And I mean, you know, you think about it and it is a little bit frustrating because it's like the world's already filled with no's, you know, the organizations that you're, that you're going to, to, to get support and to get guidance, 
their you know reflex response shouldn't ever be no it should be let's let's see if we can figure something out mm -hmm. exactly agreed 100 percent. yeah happy birthday liz thank you rob I, I i also really like the fact that for for the one episode in our 200 and whatever episode <laughs> list the, we are aptly named at banjo because we did do <laughs> a lot of bantering about the AT. So we did, we did. Good job on that too. I don't know if that was planned, but. Oh yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> Absolutely. Planned. Wonderful. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. That was, that was all part of Ryan's master plan. <laughs> Not mine. This was all Liz's show. That's right. Oh, the name AT banter. Yeah. 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 yeah actually that was, that was you, I think. I don't know. I think it was. Stupidest decision you, ever made. That wasn't the stupidest, but it was up there. <laughs> <laughs> all right moving on <laughs> sorry i had to get a dig that's in all right <laughs> yeah uh okay well hey listen before we go uh we did get an email uh from a listener and this is more of a, a local story um you know people outside of uh, the lower mainland a lot of this probably most uh make much sense or really be much of a concern but and by um, lower mainland we mean the greater vancouver regional district that's correct so i guess what's happening it's it's an issue with with translink and i don't know if they if they do this fairly often or not uh, but they're doing something that's called um a, a balancing project there are a couple different routes that um they're proposing to that they're going to be changing and it's really having a, a big impact on um, a lot of uh, riders that are, are visually impaired. And so um, we just wanted to give a shout out to, um, to that and to make sure that people check the show notes. We've got a, there, there's, a, there's a URL in there where they can go to the website and they can get a little bit more information on this and they can sign a petition uh, to get TransLink to rethink some of these uh, balance changes that they're proposing. So uh, yeah, th big thanks to Steph actually for bringing this to our attention. And uh, yeah, there you go. That's our, that's our PSA for the week. All righty. That's our low for the week. No, we had a couple in this show. And did we? Yeah, you know, yeah, we pretty much came up with a month worth of lulls in this <laughs> well, episode. Well, those weren't lulls. Those were giving each other room to jump in. That's because some people don't like to raise their hands. Yeah, actually, no one's raising their hand anymore. I raised my hand. Did you? I didn't see you. Well, I didn't know not today, but in other shows. Yeah, no, it's fine. I think we'll, I pick think we'll me, do teacher, away with pick that. Pick me, pick me, pick me. Hey, Keener, excuse me, Mr. Hey, here's an idea. We're going to start raising our hands. Yeah, and then, have I done it once? No. <laughs> no. Don't listen to me. Yeah, actually, that's true. <laughs> that's your idea. And you didn't do it <laughs> no. Exactly. Why, why are you pointing fingers at me? Do as I say, not as I do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then he's like, God damn it, Liz, hit option Y. Hit option Y. You can't find the damn Y. <laughs> no, I can't find my Y. All right. dots. Between the T and the U. I need dots. Do you have dots, dots yet? Do you have dots See, yet? Dave, you want to send me some dots? Oh, in two weeks, she still doesn't have freaking dots. Oh, my goodness. I'm just going to run down dots. to my local I dot store. <laughs> wow. Monday morning, is Monday morning is going to be a treat, isn't it? <laughs> 8 a.m. Woo. Oh, damn. That's May right. 2nd. Yep. Oh, 
Jeez. You betcha. Yeah, that's like, that's rough. Next week, yeah, two shows, that one and a podcast. Woo. Yikes. Oh, are you serious? We Next week's our anniversary show. show. Told oh, you that. Yeah, well, okay, that well that's months. fine. That's fine. I mean, All right. We're, we're relax. Just wing that. You betcha. Oh, man, I'm going to be tired. I'm going to be tired <laughs> on Monday. Yeah. Oh, uh, Saturday. It's going to be exhausting. Oh, I'm going to be tired. Okay, I'll be ready for it. Maybe I'll take Tuesday off. I won't get my beauty rest. Listen, well, I don't know how much rest. Why is everybody? Everybody's very combative today. It's Monday. It clearly you noticed that. It seems to be a trend. Our Monday shows are a little bit more aggressive. Yeah. Hey, it's yeah. my birthday week. Lighten up. Sorry. <laughs> Happy birthday to you. Um, we did this. <laughs> Happy birthday to <laughs> you. Um. Happy birthday, dear Liz. Hum. Happy birthday to you. Hum. Yay. Get off my lawn. Well, like, I can't wait no, to I, edit I was this shit out. There was, no, there's a couple. Of, what, I, I was trying to figure out those those stingers at the end because, like, there's there's a couple of them. And many more. There's, there's another one, but something about a monkey. You smell like a monkey. Oh, that's what it is. Yeah, that's right. That's, sorry, it's part of the song. It wasn't the stage. And you act like one, two. Let's see. <laughs> All right. This is enough silliness. That's uh, right. Let's hey, go. Let's yes, we're gonna get out of here. We're right. all getting cranky because it's dinner time. Yeah, right. that's probably why everyone's so aggressive. Angry. And then we have to talk about food on the trail. Um I was like, man, that 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 uh protein whatever that re rehydrated food kind of sounds good right now <laughs> yeah it totally does sort of those gas station sandwiches mm. <laughs> soggy. Ice, i had a few of those mm. ice cold coca-cola yeah mm. uh hey liz yes rob uh where can people find us they can find us on the web at our dandy website atbanter.com they can also drop us an email if they so desire at cowbell cowbell what that where's the cowbell all right what if let, let's see if i oh I... <laughs> you know what's happening okay wait right ryan turn your original no forget it i just whatever wait, let's see if when oh, i wait, say we're it. not getting a cowbell sound it's try try again i hit it like four times but you know all right, well, that, that one will do. That one kind of came through. That's the original it's, audio. It's the, it's the Zoom it. thing squashing it. Yep, that's why we're getting rid of Zoom. All right. Uh, wait, what were Cowbell. Oh, wait, you already... At atbanter.com. <laughs> not, and not on the Appalachian Trail. No, definitely and not. And hey, if you want to contact us somewhere that doesn't require any sort of special effects, <laughs> come and see us at Facebook or Twitter. You know, right. after six years, you think you could just insert a cowbell sound. It's got to be live, man. <laughs> our our audience demands it. We're not we we don't we don't screw around. We're doing we do a weekly podcast. Everything's live. Everything's different every week. I would not do that to our audience where it's just All like right. and they can tell. Believe oh. me, if I ever once I do that first time, we'll get uh, an email and be like, "Where that was a canned cowbell." <laughs> That was from episode 175. <laughs> and uh, that was not a that was not a fresh cowbell. All Rob's right. like, I got enough damn editing to do. You think I'm you think I'm gonna start doing drop-ins? Please, please. Yeah, that's right. 
He's like, screw sampling, that. Sampling like, I ain't doing no cowbell sound. So me and Ryan do on Saturdays, we just connect by Zoom and just like sample, sample <laughs> cowbells. <laughs> oh, hey, that's it. There's an idea. Maybe we could sample it and turn it into like the, you know, a cowbell, a cowbell mm-hmm. symphony with some, some MIDI gear and stuff. Nice. Start working on it now. We can have a Christmas song for our Christmas show. There you go. Good, great idea. Jingle cowbells. I love it. Jingle Okay, someone write that down. We're doing that. That's for next for this Christmas show. You want jingle cowbells? Six months. Yes, jingle cowbells. And I want, I want, I want silver cowbells. Also good. Silver cowbells. <laughs> also like good. Yeah. yeah. Cowbells. Dun, 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 dun. Okay. Anyways, man, we're so musical today. Um, mm. Anyways, well, that is going to about do it for us this week. Big thanks, of course, to Trevor Thomas uh, for joining us. And we will see everybody next week. This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H dot com. Or call us toll free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com. 